Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Hello, my name is David Obelt. I'm the Chief Content Officer for Malcontent News. Today is August 28th. It has been 186 days since the widespread invasion of Ukraine has started and 3,104 days since Russia occupied Crimea. This is the Russian-Ukraine War Update podcast. And on Sundays, I take the microphone and we do a bit of a week in review. And one of the other things that we're going to be doing today is a six-month review. We're going to talk about where Russia's at, where's Ukraine at, and where do we think things are going to go? And with that, why don't we just go right ahead and jump in? We, each month, assign what we believe are the objectives for both belligerents. And that's what I'm going to run through. We're going to look at the, and I get it, there's two days left in August. We're close enough. We're going to go ahead and look at what those objectives are and give a grade on how both performed. We're going to start in the Donbass with Slavyansk, Belohorivka, Berestove, and the Russian objective was maintain territorial control and their ground line of communications, their supply lines, control insurgency, and integrate captured territory into Russia. Ukrainians' objectives prevent advances on Sversk, Slavyansk, Kramatorsk, support insurgents, exploit weaknesses, and interdict supplies. So how did both belligerents do? If I had to give Russia a letter grade, Russia gets a D, and they get very close to a D minus. Where did they do well? Maintain territorial control. They have maintained the borders of Luhansk. So on that one, check. Maintain the ground line of communications, their supply lines. They're not doing very well there. Uh, HIMARS, rocket attacks have seriously disrupted their supply lines, and this has impacted operational tempo. How many attacks that are going on in that area? Control insurgency. Uh, This is the area where they get a very low grade. There is a significant insurgency that is growing and spreading in Lansk, in part because they are not delivering anything to the people in the occupied territories and because of forced conscription. And this is building tremendous resentment in this region. And the last thing, integrate captured territory into Russia, and they're not doing this effectively either. What grade does Ukraine get here? Ukraine gets a B plus to an A minus. First one, prevent advances on Seversk, A plus. Russia has not been able to gain one inch of ground in this region. Um, They've actually lost some territory uh, there. Support insurgency, same thing. Here, they're a B plus, A minus, because there is a big amount and increase in insurgency activity in this area. Exploit weaknesses. Here, they get a C, but I, I don't think Ukraine has enough resources to exploit weaknesses. And then the last thing, interdict supplies. Make Russia hurt trying to move supplies up to the front lines. And here again, B+. They're performing extremely well 
in this area. To steal a line from the movie Red Dawn, they have stopped the Russians but cold in this area. Going to move to uh, Bakhmut. What were the goals here? Well, goal number one for Russia or objective, secure Bakhmut and Soledar and start to encircle Ukrainian forces to the east of there. What was the Ukrainian objective? Defend Bakhmut Soledar while managing equipment and personnel losses, minimize civilian casualties, and defend the ground lines of communications. What's Russia's grade here? Russia's grade here is a C. And if you've been following us, you're going, C feels generous. The reason they get a C is that in the Svitlodarsk bulge, Russia has moved. They've moved about seven kilometers. And at the beginning of August, Russia was able to move those lines of conflict. But they're essentially not able to cross the highway to Solodar, Bakhmut. They've made no progress, and they've exhausted their troop strength. It is very unlikely that the situation in this area is going to change between now and mud season. That's the reason they get a C. How is Ukraine doing here? Ukraine gets a B, and the reason they don't get an A here is for all the reasons that I just outlined uh, on why Russia got a C. Russia did make territorial gains over here. However, uh, they have stopped the Russian advance in the face of superior artillery and superior firepower. They could be managing their personnel losses better. They're managing equipment loss very, very well. They've done a really good job of minimizing civilian casualties because they did a lot of evacuations, and they have effectively defended their supply lines to be able to keep supplies coming in to maintain this defense. They're going to keep moving on here, and the next area that we're going to talk about is southwest Donetsk. Donetsk, the city itself, and then all the way out to the Dnipro River in Zafrojaya. Russia's grade here is a C, but it's mixed. For Donetsk, it's a D minus. It's really close to an F. For Zafrogia, it's an A minus. And that's why they get the C. So why are they D minus in Donetsk? Goal number one, secure Donetsk Oblast by August 31 so they can do the referendum, the sham referendum to join Russia by September 11th. The referendum appears delayed. They have not gained any territory of any meaning in the month of August. The offensive that they did trying to take Avdivka is a failure. That's the right word. It's a failure. They have expended all of their troop strength. They have wasted so many resources. And all they have to show for it is the village of Piski. That's it. If we go further south to Zafrogia, their goal there was to hold the existing line of conflict, prevent Ukraine from advancing further south. They've achieved that. They've achieved it well. You can't look at the insurrection that is happening around Mletopol and has expanded to Berdyansk and zing Russia on that. Why? The situation for Russia from an insurrection standpoint was already starting to spiral out of control in July. What's happened in August, just as we're seeing in other parts of Ukraine, the insurrection is expanding. Ukraine gets an A-. minus. They have done a tremendous job holding defense west of Donetsk. Russian forces have not been able to achieve any of their military objectives. 
pushing Ukraine out. They've done a tremendous job of exploiting weaknesses. They've done a tremendous job of destroying troop concentrations, command and control, interdicting supply, disrupting logistics, and supporting the insurrection. They're borderline A. They're, they could not have done much better than what they did in this area. And the effort that they've done, particularly west of Donetsk, is heroic. Moving on, Kharkiv. What was the Russian objective? Prevent Ukraine from reaching the international border with Russia, protect their ground lines of communication, their supply lines, and break civilian will with continued terror attacks. And the Ukrainian objective? Prevent further Russian advances on Kharkiv, pressure the Russian-controlled ground lines of communications. Both belligerents here get a B. Ukraine hasn't been able to move to the international borders. They have not uh, really been able to threaten Russian ground lines of communication. However, where they don't get an A is the terror attacks. These continued missile attacks on Kharkiv and the surrounding communities are only galvanizing the will of the population. It is not doing anything to break the will. Uh, Ukraine, the reason they get a B, they have prevented Russian further advances towards Kharkiv. They are putting pressure on the southeastern part of Kharkiv on Russian ground lines of communication. But they haven't been able to move further east. They haven't been able to bring fire control over the reservoir that is in the eastern part of the oblast. That's why they get a B. Is Zoom. So we're continuing our explore of how Russia and Ukraine has done through the month of August. What was the Russian objectives here? Russian objective originally was hold defensive lines, push towards Slavyansk, support the offensive operation that was happening in Donetsk, and secure the rest of the Donetsk Oblast. What was Ukrainian objectives? Defend against advances on Slavyansk, capitalize on weaknesses in Russian defenses, continue to harass and interdict the supply lines, execute special operation forces, SOF raids, on Russian troop located behind the line of conflict. Russia's grade here is D minus. The only thing that keeps them from getting an F is the fact that the Ukrainian flag isn't flying over a zoo. Not only were they not able to advance on Slavians, they gave up on it. They, they're like, we're not doing it. it. It's off the table, which made the capture of Donetsk by August 31 for the referendum impossible. They've lost territory. Ukraine has now established fire control in the forested areas west of Azum. They've established fire control on the highways coming out of Azum to the south, about seven kilometers south of Azum down. What I mean by fire control is they can fire artillery almost with impunity. There's a video that came out yesterday. We highlighted this in our situation report. If you become a patron, you get access to our daily situations report. $5 a month, you get a 40 to 70 page daily analysis. I think it's money well spent. Admittedly, I'm biased. We connected to a video that is showing what Russian forces are having to do because they can't even establish fire bases anymore in these forests to the west of Zoom. They're having to shoot and scoot putting mortars in the back of cargo trucks, taking the canvas, rolling it back, firing six mortar shells, and then driving away for their lives so that the counter battery doesn't come in and take them out. That is how bad the situation has become in a Zoom, because one of the things we hear a lot about is Ukraine doesn't have the capabilities to do counter battery. They do here. Russia did do a little bit of a push 
because Ukraine was able to shell the city of Azum itself on August 18th. So Russia did this push. The push did contest two or three settlements. That has failed. And Ukraine, over the last 48 hours, has taken back almost all of that territory. And the Russia's situation here is just not very good. I've already kind of talked, you know, where the Ukrainian grade here is. Ukrainian grade here is A-. minus. The only reason they don't get an A is because the Ukrainian flag isn't flying in Zoom right now. They've absolutely not only defended against advances in Slaviansk, they prevented it. They've stopped it. They are doing a tremendous job of interdicting Russian supply lines. Russia has serious ammunition supply issues on this axis. And we see this because artillery fire has become very sporadic. They have had to use anti-aircraft guns for direct fire. What that means is they're taking anti-aircraft guns. They're not using them to try to shoot down planes. They're using it to point at things on the ground. Now, you could do this with anti-aircraft guns, but generally you're not going to do that unless you are running out of artillery pieces or you're running out of ammunition. And you're like, well, we have a big pile of anti-aircraft ammunition, so we'll do direct fire with this. They've also been doing a lot of indirect fire with tanks, which is another indication that their artillery is running low on ammunition. To the west in this area, we like to call Sherwood Force. I say we, the Russians call it Sherwood Force. It's not a term of endearment. Ukraine is about established total fire control in the western half of that area. And special operation forces, there is a lot of fighting and operations that are going on west and northwest of Azum. And that's really all I can talk about there. Let's talk about Kherson, Russian objectives. Push Ukraine forces out of artillery range of Kherson, protect their ground lines of communications, Prepare for a Ukrainian counteroffensive by building defenses and prevent the expansion of the insurgency. Ukraine's objectives, maintain the territory that they've captured, prepare or convince Russia that they are preparing for a counteroffensive, interdict ground lines of communication, those supply lines, and isolate the Russian forces. Russia gets a B. There's a few reasons why they get that. First of all, Russia has been pushing on Ukrainian lines, west, northwest, and in the northern part of Kherson. And they have pushed Ukrainian forces back in all of those areas. The only area they have not been able to push Ukraine back is on the Inulets River bridgehead, where Ukraine has expanded their footprint in the month of August. Russia isn't trying to advance on Mykolaiv. Their goal is to push Ukraine out of artillery range of Kherson and their positions east of the Dnipro River. That's an impossible task because of HIMARS. They're not going to be able to push Ukraine out, but that's part of what they're trying to do. Russia's doing a surprisingly good job of patching the bridges back up every time they are hit. However, as we're getting to the end of August here, these last rounds of strikes that happen on the 25th, 26th, and 27th really look like they've done the bridges in. It's going to be very hard to reestablish these ground lines of communication, these supply lines at scale. We're starting to see some signs of supply issues for Russian troops. We're seeing less mobility. We're seeing less movement west of the Dnipro River. And we're starting to see the amount of artillery fire across the entire axis 
is dropping, and we're seeing more use of aviation. Not saying it's a situation like we're seeing in a Zoom, but we're just starting to see some cracks. Because Russia has essentially launched a little bit of an offensive, a very quiet one, and they have been able to push, this is why they get the B. Ukraine gets a C minus, and they get that C minus because they've lost territory. They're not getting a C minus because where is the counteroffensive? We didn't say Ukraine launches counteroffensive. We said Ukraine launches counteroffensive or convinces Russia that they're going to do that. They've done an excellent job of convincing them that they're going to launch a counteroffensive in this area in August. But they've lost territory. They have held on to the Inulets River bridgehead, which has been very critical. They had some opportunities to sever ground lines of communication within the oblast. So not just across the river, but past the river. And they weren't able to accomplish that. And that's why they get the C-. Finally, we look at the Chernihiv and Sumy oblasts. Russian objective, lock Ukrainian military resources in place, break civilian will with continued terror attacks. Ukrainian objectives, maintain enough force strength on the border with Russia to prevent Russian troops from crossing. Make Russia look across the border and go, yeah, not today. We don't want to do this. Russia gets a C. Ukraine gets an A. Why does Russia get a C? Because the shelling, the terror attacks that they're doing, the targeting of civilians aren't breaking will. It's galvanizing it. They have locked Ukrainian military resources in place, and that's why they get the C. Ukraine gets an A. They're maintaining enough force strength on the border for Russia to go, we're not going to try and cross the border here. There have been a couple of skirmishes, Sumi, but this is really just spoiling and harassment attacks, and there's been nothing to actually physically cross the border. If you're wondering to yourself, wait a minute, you're not talking about Kiev, you're not talking about Odessa, you're not talking about Crimea... There are really no objectives for either belligerent. Kiev is not at threat of being invaded. It doesn't really appear to be getting targeted by missiles or rocket attacks. Odessa, there's no looming amphibious landing that is coming in that area. There's not going to be any attack. And for Crimea, we didn't set a goal to be candid. And for September, we will. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at Malcontent News. There's been a statistic that's been thrown around. It comes from the Institute for Study of War. When we look at Russia's high water mark, which is March 25th, Russia has lost equivalent territory about the size of Denmark. It's about equal to the size of Vermont and New Hampshire combined. That's since March 25. Since July 4, Russia has gained about the equivalent of the nation of Andorra. Now, nothing against Americans. I don't think a lot of even intelligent Americans could go, hey, Andorra is right here on a map. The amount of territory that Russia has gained since July 4 is about the same size in square miles or square kilometers as Norman, Oklahoma. What's been the game changer? What happened on 
July 4. Well, it didn't exactly happen on July 4. It happened on June 25. The first HIMARS attack happened on June 25th in a zoo. Now, as much as the Russian Ministry of Defense right now is going, HIMARS isn't a game changer. And if you count the number that they claim that they've destroyed, the Russian Ministry of Defense is basically claiming they've destroyed every HIMARS system in Ukraine at this point. We know that's not true. And we know that's not true because there's still HIMARS attacks going on at scale. If you dig deeper and you go into the backroom conversations on Telegram from Wagner Group or even the public conversations, you look at what some of the mill bloggers are saying. We monitor what is going on in the Russian sphere. Uh, we're in Telegram groups that people don't know that we're in their groups. We're reading their conversations. We're listening to their chats, not just on Telegram. There has been a huge shift in mood and tone just in this last week. Ukraine pulled off a series of HIMARS attacks that were very hard blows for multiple military units and multiple organizations. And there is this realization, this resignation, now that this has been going on for two months, that one, HIMARS is as good as advertised. There was this real belief that the defense contractors that developed HIMARS, that the Pentagon was exaggerating their capabilities, that this is going to be no better than any system than what we have, and we'll be able to shoot these rockets down. And the reality is really sinking in. Oh, no, they are really as good as advertised. The second thing that they're starting to realize is that the military intelligence that Ukraine is getting for target selection is vastly better than what Russia is providing their missile and rocket corps. And Ukraine is destroying high-value targets and hitting at the right places at the right time. And there is a lot of frustration that is starting to form because of this. The third thing that they're starting to realize is, despite all of the claims from the Russian Ministry of Defense, the soldiers in the field... The military contractors in the field, the mercenaries in the field, are calling it for what it is. They're not really shooting any rockets down. What's fascinating with this quiet resignation is there's almost this July 1944 feel in their words, which is the situation's not very good. They have brought in this system that we have no answer for. It is really causing a lot of damage, and it is killing our people, but we can still win. It's all good. At the end of the day, it's all good. I'm not trying to be a doomer. We, we can still pull this off. But this confidence and this belief that the Ukrainians are just a, a corrupt rabble that will be swept away, there has been this awakening just in this last week, I think it's a combination of things. I think this goes beyond just these critical HIMARS strikes, which have happened in Donetsk, Luantz, and Kherson. It's six months. We're at the six-month point. We really haven't achieved anything. We haven't, when I say we haven't achieved anything, what I mean by we have not achieved any of the goals that were laid out back on February 23rd. We haven't touched any of those goals yet. And we're not able to move the line anymore. We're, we're paying D 
dearly for every meter that we gain. And we're running out of troops, and yet Ukrainians continue to seem to be able to find troops, and their equipment is getting better and better and better. And this is all coming at the same time. And for experienced soldiers that are in the field who have been in the Russian military for years, not conscripts who have signed a contract because they need a paycheck, for the experienced soldiers, they know what's coming. They know the rainy season is coming. They know the mud is coming. They know the snow is coming. They know that the Arctic conditions that can form in this area in the wintertime is coming. Where Ukraine sits in the world is where armies that are invaders have gone to die in the wintertime for 1,500 years. And the thing that's wild to me, prior to February of 2022, I think if you asked people, what countries do you think would be really good at fighting in winter conditions, I think most people would just rattle off very quickly Norway, Sweden, Finland, Russia. What we learned in February is Russians are ill-equipped to fight in the wintertime. Russia suffered thousands of cold-weather injuries. They could not even handle kind of this extended bridge winter that flowed into March. Everything conspired against Russia when they did their initial wide-scale invasion of Ukraine starting on February 24. Their supply lines, the plans, their intelligence, and the weather, everything conspired against them. And they were ill-prepared for it. And if we look at the corruption that is in the Russian military at all levels, I find it very unlikely that Russian forces, particularly uh, Luhansk People's Republic, Donetsk People's Republic separatists, are going to be equipped for winter combat. And NATO is already preparing Ukrainian troops for winter combat. Part of the training that's going on for these troops that are going through uh, the UK and Germany, going through these five-week programs, they are getting some training in winter combat. Now, most of the training for winter combat is how do you survive outside in the cold? And they're also getting winter kit. They're getting the gear that they need to stay warm and survive in those conditions. And I just don't see that happening wide scale for the Russian army. Now, I think the Russian army is going to believe that they've done it. I think they're told that they are prepared. I don't think this gear has been bought. And I think the gear that they have is probably nowhere near the effectiveness that they've been promised. I believe that because this has been the pattern that we've seen for the last six months. I want to talk about one more topic today. It's something that I've learned, something that's been exposed, that created this aha moment for me. If you've been following the war since its beginning, you've probably seen a pattern where the Russian Ministry of Defense will make a claim, we've captured fill-in-the-blank town. And they haven't. And then three days later, Russian Ministry of Defense goes, we've captured same town. And they haven't. And this cycle repeats for 
20, 30, 40. In the case of Papasnaya, this repeated for almost 90 days. What's going on? Is it willful misinformation? And the answer to that is pretty shocking to me. What I've learned and what the world learned is within the Russian military, you could do what they call a photo report. So you could just send in a picture. This isn't just in the field. They're doing this with training. There are regular Russian military, not people that, again, have gone through kind of these one-week or two-week training programs and then thrown into the trenches. Regular soldiers are telling stories where they went to the rifle range to learn how to operate firearms. They were given a firearm. They were told to pretend they were shooting. Their commanders came in and took a bunch of pictures and said, all right, that's it. Everybody back in the truck. And they actually never went through the training. When you're doing this training, you're firing ammunition. Ammunition costs money. They're saying that they're doing the training. They're accounting for that ammunition, but they're just pocketing the money. They never went through the training, the soldiers, because photo reports are acceptable. So this is the culture that the military operates within. Then they invade Ukraine, and the Kremlin is putting tremendous pressure on the generals to get results. Russia commands from the top down. They do not have NCOs, non-commissioned officers. This is one of the reasons why Russian generals end up on the front lines in the fighting, because the general knows what the objective is. That information is not trickled down through the organizations. Soldiers in the Russian military are not taught to overcome, adapt, and improvise. Russian soldiers are taught, if you are told to go up a hill and go up taking that road, you go up that hill and you go up the road that we told you. It doesn't matter if that road has been landmined. It doesn't matter if that road is under Ukrainian fire control. We told you to go up that road. That's the road you're going to go up. And this is why you end up with dead generals because the orders aren't getting followed, and there are no non-commissioned officers to explain to a junior officer, you know, that road's a really bad idea, but there's this patch of forest over. We've sent someone out there for reconnaissance. There's no mines, and we actually can flank the... No, 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 no. We told you go up the road. You go up the road. I don't want to hear your silly flanking. I don't want to hear this. General sets the objective. We want you to capture Town X by this date. And when it isn't achieved, what the, the major, the captain, the lieutenant is doing is sending a squad in to take some pictures of the welcome to so-and-so town sign or a geographical point that's right at the entry of the town. And they send those pictures. See, we captured the town. Here's a picture. When in reality... There was a squad of four, five, eight. Sometimes it's just two people that took a selfie under fire to show, see, we captured it, and then they ran for their lives. This is why we see this pattern of, we captured the town. No, you didn't. Captured the town. No, you Pisky is a great example of this. The Russian offensive on Pisky started on July 22nd. We concluded yesterday... On August 27, yeah, we think that Russia has captured Pisky. We're still not 100% sure, but we're going to give it to them today. Russia made repeated claims, and there were the pictures, and there were the videos. Even on August 24, 
there was video of a small group of Donetsk People's Republic soldiers putting a Soviet flag up, maybe on the third, the eastern third, just about kind of in the middle part of Bisky. And then the same Russian state agency news organization in the same report, after they said, here, we have captured Pisky. Here is video of us shelling Ukrainian positions in Pisky. You can't make this up. And we remained stunned for the last six months. We've asked ourselves and the analyst community they work with just like, don't they understand geolocation? Haven't they figured out that anybody can go to any number of online map applications because the entire planet has been photographed. We can figure out where you were standing when you took these pictures. And then we can look at a map and we can compare this to where we believe Ukrainian positions are or sometimes from Ukrainian videos. And then from there, we could just draw the conclusion of, yeah, you've captured the town. It sure looks like it by this picture. Or we could draw the conclusion of, what are you talking about? And this August 24th example is a great example. I want to thank you for listening to the podcast and want to thank you for your support. Without your support, we wouldn't be here. Thank you for making us one of the top 50 podcasts for daily news on Apple. We've only been doing this for 21 days, so we find that pretty remarkable to be in the rare air with some other amazing podcasts please consider subscribing if this is the first time that you're listening. Don't forget to drop a review because that certainly helps us with all of these lists and algorithms. The last thing is, if you like independent journalism, if you like fact-based news, if you like just being told the facts and not being told what to think or what to feel, please consider becoming a patron. You can become a patron at patreon.com slash the malcontent for as little as five dollars a month you can help us pay our team so that we can continue to do the work that we do and with that i want to say be safe everyone and we'll talk to you tomorrow you've been listening to the malcontent news russia ukraine war podcast to help keep us independent please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.